My first rifle was a 243. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me. And they tell me how to shoot with a steady hand. I guess that's something you don't understand. Here we are, All American Up Wing Shooting Podcast with Benny at Prairie Wildlife down in Mississippi. I'm so excited for all the things that we have to talk about today. Well, I'm glad to be on here with you. <laughs> I love everything about where you guys are. It is a very unique part of the country. Uh, with you know the Black Prairie region that's here, there's a lot of history here, and it's just it's a great place. You know, for the first. Uh, Grand National Dog Trials were ran right here in Clay County. And then, uh, smallpox moved them up to New Albany, and then they ended up at Grand Junction. So it's kind of the, the birthplace of, you know, the field trial in the heart of the world. So, And the quail hunting is still pretty good. I did not realize that that's where the national started. Yeah, it actually started at the old Waverly Plantation over here on the river. And... Say so 1896, something in that area, but it's been there, it's been around a while. And then it had a bad smallpox outbreak. They moved it to New Albany, um, which is what 80 100 miles north here, then moved north from there up into Grand Junction, Tennessee. So, well, I've been to Grand Junction and to the Bird Dog Museum, and that is, I mean, you could just get lost there. It oh yeah, if you're a bird so hunter, that's cool. that's a place to go. If you're a bird hunter, that's where you need to go at least one time. Oh, I can't wait to get back. I when I went, Hallie Joe was only like three. And we were on our way to Oklahoma for a horse show and it was too close out of the way to not stop, you know? And so um we spent the afternoon there and we were on a time crunch. So I just I couldn't spend as long as I wanted to. But um, I just always think, man, every single time I pass through that area, you gotta, you just got to stop. Yeah, and it's, they do a really good job with it. I mean, they're promoting the history of the sport. And there's some very unique things there. I mean, if you're a bird dog lover, that's a great place to go and see what original kennel crates look like, how they oh, transported them on the trains. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's a very cool place to be. So the the Bird Dog Museum has um, all types of artifacts scattered about this massive museum. And then there's each section by breed that has all the Hall of Fame, most famous dogs, the iconic dogs, and their oil paintings with their portraits on the wall with their story. And it is such a top-notch place. They have, they have paid such... Um, contribute to these dogs in the classiest way. I mean, when you pull up in the parking lot, you have no idea how cool it is on the inside. Well, they've got the walk of champions and it's, it's just, they've done a lot to, to really make a special place and, and represent the sport of the field trials. They really have. Oh, well, that's such a cool fact that I didn't know about where you guys are. I literally was just talking about the farm itself, where you guys are. There's, <laughs> I mean, you as as a shooter and a bird hunter, a dog lover, you don't need another place. 
No, it's been, you know, it's grown since I've been here. Uh, we've got a great team of guys that work from the wildlife side to the kennels and office help. I mean, every part of what we do, maintenance staff has been great. The Halise shooting sports have grown tremendously over the last three years. Uh, and we kind of made a decision. We've got a five stand. We've got a couple of different areas for clays, but we made a decision about three or four years ago that we didn't want a, the typical shooting venue for clay. So we kind of went the police route and it's been very good. And actually, I mean, we got a group of shooters that are from here. This is their home field that are in Spain shooting in the world right now. And the junior group won gold yesterday as a team no event. Way. So it's a uh, it's really grown and it's been it's a good fun sport. I mean never <laughs> stated it. It came out of Boxburg pigeon shooting uh as a when it was outlawed in Europe back in the sixties. So it's a one of the fastest growing shooting sports in the country right now. It's a thrill. My first introduction to this was um at Selwood in Alabama and it was a purdy event and it was I swear two degrees outside <laughs> and it was so cold. We just couldn't have fun, but we all had to try it. Um, and I was hooked because as a shooter, I fell in love with the dogs and it pulled me away from sporting clays, but I was a trained sporting clay shooter before really being trained in anything else. So now that I know what I know, I, I give the advice, especially with the kids, to learn to be an instinctual shooter before you learn technique because you end up with bad habits from the field once you shoot in sporting clays. Like, I'm really bad at riding out birds and, you know, just not being in a rush. And so I can tell if I've been sporting clay shooting for a long time and then switching to the field that I'm not mounting quick enough, not pulling the trigger quick enough. I'm thinking too much. You know, all the bad things that we sit here and coach people in wing shooting, they shouldn't do. I carry those bad habits with me and then I have to re-coach myself for um, a little while. So It's funny because of exactly what you're saying. You know, we talk yeah. about training dogs. You don't put, don't leave bad fingerprints on a dog. But I tell everybody with kids, I mean, you grew up in Georgia. I know everybody in the South knows how to shoot shotguns. I didn't. I didn't know how to shoot a shotgun until 2016. <laughs> but it's it's so funny because everybody gets taught by their dad and this and that. And everybody goes, "Well, you aim the shotgun. You don't aim a shotgun. You point and shoot it." And it's so hard for somebody to understand that and figure it out. But yeah, we tell everybody. I say, "Hey, if you got one of your kids that are learning to shoot, bring them over here. You know, we've got certified shooting instructor that can put them and get them." set in the right foundation to you need to talk about him you need to talk about your instructor he your shooting instructor has just about the most swag of any shooting instructor i've ever met he is so funny because he gets i mean he it's funny because he'll tell you he said i can't shoot worth crap but i can teach everybody else how to and he does (laughs) shoot really well but you know Getting that foundation to where you mount the gun the same, you, you that your stance is right. Every part of what you're doing is conducive into to making that successful shot, and that's what we teach everybody. And it's funny because we got guys that are like, "Yeah, you know, I can't hit, can't hit, can't hit," and they'll come over here and 
they're like breaking Halisburg. And that's the cool thing about it because that's the truest target that looks like a live bird when it flies. And I mean, unfortunately, if you know the whole point of break point on clay, you can about do it with your eyes closed. This you can't. It's very instinctive and it's reactionary. You've got to pick up the bird coming off the machine, swing through the target, and shoot it and bust it. Some of them pop up, hang, and those are the ones that kind of get me. The ones that are just screaming out at the fence at 100 miles an hour, I don't have any problem getting on those because I don't think about it. The one that yeah. pops up like a big old sunflower pie plate, it, it jacks me up every time. Xavier <laughs> does a great job with it. And actually one of the kids that's, that was high yesterday on the team in the morning, Xavier has helped coach them here at Black Prairie. And like I said, they won gold yesterday. The American team did really good. They they won the ladies won silver and the men's team won bronze. And I think one of the senior bets or bet teams won a gold. So Man, if I was anywhere close to there, I'd be on that. I mean, me and Xavier would be shooting from sunup to sundown all summer long. And I can already see Taterbug is gonna make her way there for sure. We shoot a lot of targets and it's it's very it's not high pressure. I mean, it's yeah, you, know, you and the bird. I mean, it's yeah, you know, which you play sports and you you've got any competitive bones in your body that you want to beat the bird. So yeah. And everybody was you know, everybody wants to run a five and then they want to run a ten and you know, it's a thirty bird game. So it's just so this you, is you the new shooting like raise going on across the south. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen uh, it anywhere else. So it's uh, there's one, one. There's about six rings in Texas. Uh, South Carolina's got one over and uh, outside of Hampton, or more towards Estill. Probably. No, it's back towards Walterboro, over Broxton's Bridge. Uh, Selwood's got one, and well, and, and they're not all sanctioned. So the Cherokee Rose has got one down Georgia. I think they're in Bacon Griffin somewhere. Oh. They've one down towards Dothan. I didn't know uh, that Cherokee Rose had one. Yeah, That's a great one. shooting facility in Georgia. They've got one field. Uh, but it's growing in the south. I mean, it started in Texas. California is actually going to host the Nationals next year in uh, Stockton. Uh, pretty good group of guys out there that are following. Uh, they actually have a lot of guys that shoot out there. Uh, Let's see, not one in said Well, uh, National Gun Club got one. It's not sanctioned, and they don't really promote it, so don't no, know. No, I, I just shot there earlier this year, and I didn't know anything about it. But you know what? It was another freezing cold day, and we were filming, <laughs> and <clears throat> so we got in and out. But we hung out in uh, there. That's a good group of guys over there because oh, that's yeah, one of the first. Guys. Sporting clay venues that's ran by hunters. Like yeah, they're, you know, they're they're just hardcore hunters, and I enjoyed the heck out of that place. Something. Uh, they're trying to get one up North Carolina. I know there's one in Pennsylvania, uh, but it's Louisiana's got three. There's a new one down in Florida, down towards. I think. I don't know how far down it is. It's way down there in Florida somewhere. So if you if you join this circuit, you're doing a lot of traveling. You can, but it's you know they want you to shoot 
three different venues, and it's all points to be able to qualify for the world. You, well, if you're qualifying to make the, the America's team to go to the world, uh, great experience for these guys. I mean, you know, there's, you got some of the old time, you know, the Rick Mine and some of those guys have been every year, just, they're great shooting. But some of these new young ones, it's fun watching them. They're, they're fast. And that's what that game's about. Is the, the, your, the youthful reflexes, being able to pick up the bird, <laughs> get the gun yeah. on it. Because, I mean, yeah, you're 21 meters from the fence and you're 26 meters from the thrower. So you don't have a whole lot of time to pick the bird up, break the target, and make it a scoreable target. Yeah, because it's set up kind of like a trap field, but you just have one lane, right? And then you move back in distance. Is that how that works? No, they don't slide. Not on these. Uh, you start at 26 meters, and and I mean, any shoot can be different, but all the sanctioned shoots are 26 meters, uh, and the throwers are 21 meters from the fence or the out-of-bounds. Okay. All right. Well, I can't wait to try this again. Uh, well, I mean, the, the, I think they just posted the national video on uh, Real Tree 365 on the Prairie Wildlife Experience yesterday. So that's a pretty good representation. It's about 20 minutes long. Okay. I'll post that on my story so we can get the word of this new game out there because it is well, the best solution for a bird it, hunter to it shoot. It came out of, uh, like I said, it came out of pigeon shooting and they do a uh, every. There's different classifications. I think there's six classifications based on age, and yeah, they do the longest run. I mean, there's nine compulsory options that you can play. So there's an option to win back what you're spending on the weekend for travel. So it's kind of like one of those things. You know, hey, I can win a little money and pay for all my shooting. So it pays to be a, a pretty good shot in this. So. <laughs> Well, that's better than sporting place. Half the time, you don't even get a, a trophy or a ribbon. Well, I, won state. I, won, I was so excited to get a belt buckle. I won state in 2017, and they, they sent me with a certificate. I had my own belt buckle made. I was like, I waited and worked so dang hard for this. I'm going to have There's one. There is a lot of belt buckles that come out of Texas. Everybody tries to be their own unique. You know, all the clubs want to one-up them. And, you know, we try to be who we are and do what we're doing and, and be able to provide a great experience for everybody to come and shoot. So one of them, well, I, like trophies. I like winning trophies. I like trophies. I like the trophy yesterday. They're doing, <laughs> they're doing the actual gold medals and silver medals and things. The world and Got a text yesterday and somebody said, hey, uh, we've thrown y'all's name in for the world. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if I want the world. <laughs> I'd rather wow. do the Americas. So, but we've got a big enough facility. We've got six fields. Uh, third set of lights will be here this month. And then the other three will be here by the end of the year, hopefully. So I'll have mm -hmm. six lighted fields and a practice field, which will be one of the largest facilities, if not the largest elite facility in the country. So all but those twelve fields will end up with <laughs> with RVs <laughs> if you no, end up with the world. <laughs> no, and that's the funny part, Mr. Jimmy. Is, you know, and I, you don't want to lessen what prairie wildlife is, but you know, we can sleep thirty six out here right now. Uh, 
country club and all that. So, you know, we try to do everything we can to get folks in rooms, but campgrounds right down the road, Corbin's near campground. So if they got an RV, then we'll, we'll take them to the campground. Well, that's super convenient. There, when I came out there, I felt like you guys were literally in the middle of just farm country. It was like just farm country and there was prairie wildlife, which people aren't familiar with prairie wildlife. It was farms. And I love the history of this. I'm, I feel so fortunate now that Mr. Jimmy was there when I came through um, a few years back. And we've stayed in touch over the years just because of our love of dogs and just the tradition of, of things that are going on. But I now have like watched your show and um, learned about this new lifestyle brand coming out and just the history of it. And it hit home with me because my dad retired a few years back and he was like, well, what are we going to do? And I was like, I always wanted us to have cows. So it was almost in reverse of what you guys have done. And then we started a small herd of Wagyu and, and then the bird dog world just took over my life and, and I just didn't stay home very much. And so when I'm home, I love checking cows and I love going and feeding cows and all that stuff. But now my dad's had to bring on the extra help and, um, it's all good, but it's really a special story of what that property has stood for, what it's uh, just turned into. And it's really just, um, it needs to be celebrated. I love that you guys are sharing the story because I think America can um, just connect with this story because I have found that the ag world, because I come back from the horse background and a dog. And it's like, it's all the same people, right? So you find bird dog people and they typically are either cow people or horse people. <laughs> and I'm like, there's a huge um, connection between that ag world that I think we miss in our marketing and advertising and just um, like sharing with conservation organizations. I, I think we're missing a big market of not teaming up with these people at, at times and just sharing what's going on in our world. The cool thing about what we've done here, Miss Jimmy, you know, native wild quail are declining. And realistically, we're probably, we could be one generation away from losing them. But, you know, there's 10,000 different ideas and theories on what's causing decline in the wild bird population, from hawks to coyotes to fire ants to, you know, you name it. And the, it's habitat. It's the same thing. I mean, you know, turkeys right now, they're doing the same thing. If you look at the end result and from a conservation standpoint, what's changing and what has changed historically over time? I mean, this area was native tall grass prairie, just like the prairie that's out in Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma. They came in, changed it. Uh, cotton was king. Everybody was farming cotton. Bow weevil came in and they're like, we can't do this. So everybody plants fescue. Well, fescue is not conducive for quail habitat. So your numbers start declining. And when those numbers, you know, hit rock bottom, probably 20, 25 years ago, that's when Mr. Jimmy's like, hey, I, you know, I need to do something. So he teamed up with Mississippi State, Dr. West Berger, and <laughs> has actually done a lot of quail conservation uh, management type processes out here on the thing. They're doing tons of research. But, I mean, everybody wants to 
find that one magic bullet to take care of. It's not. I mean, uh, you know, quail and, and turkey, quail and turkey aren't a hair difference part, you know, in the habitat, everything when they get started. But, you know, all the timber companies are planting, you know, all the pines and it gets into that after that first year, two, three years, you know, there's, it's too thick. And managing for quail is like standing on the right plate. See, the too thicker is too thin. And it's funny because I'll get a guy come and go, man, we, we saw our first covey of birds on our property in 20 years. And I said, did y'all cut trees around you or did somebody cut them your neighbor? And they said, well, no, we clear cut, you know, 80 acres in there. And I'm like, well, that you'll see them for two or three years and they're going to move. So, yeah, and for me, the conservation side of it's huge. It plays real big something we do every day. We're always either strip disking, burning. Yeah, we're managing invasive species in the trees, and there's a lot of lot of it goes into it. And it's been cool this year to watch because uh, he got he was awarded the Legends of the Outdoors uh, Conservation Farmer of the Year a couple of weeks ago up in Springfield, and we were notified that he had been the Fed's favorite quail forever 2022 Conservation Farmer of the Year. Oh my so, gosh, that is incredible. He I did the see the, the Springfield post, but I've just heard about the QFPF. He's gonna, That's amazing. They were down here a couple weeks ago, or last week, they were doing a piece on it, a video and stuff. But he'll get that in February at uh, Pheasant Fest in Minneapolis. So it's, uh, you know, everything we're doing is, is conservation driven, but it's, the focus of the lodge. I mean, we do deer hunts and rabbit hunts, but we do a lot of quail hunts. We've got a tower like none other that we do tower sheets out of. Uh, a couple of years ago, Orvis, you know, that's nothing I really had to talk about. We're an Orvis endorsed wing shooting lodge, 2020 Lodge of the Year, which was a huge honor to win. But we started, you know, I asked one day, I said, we're getting hammered on quail hunts in February, January, February because of the rain. I said, oh, yeah, I need to do duck hunts. I'm like, do what? I said, yeah, these release ducks. And they do release ducks in San Donato. And we started doing that a couple of years ago. And I mean, it's, we've got a little timber hole that we, I mean, we can call the ducks into. We winter and rest them on one area, but we can call them into the other one. And for me, kids that have never been duck hunting, it's a great place to put them in a blind and say, this is how you do it. Yeah. yeah. Duck blinds can get hairy sometimes. <laughs> you know, people shooting and blasting. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I did that for a long time. But, you know, my passion's quail. I love, and you know, the passion's dogs. I, you know, I'd rather, you know that, I'd rather train a dog and watch a dog work than a head shoot bird any day. Oh, my gosh, I know. And we can get lost on a rabbit trail just talking <laughs> about dogs. We do that often. But now that I want to, I don't want to um, skip over the, conservation that you guys do on your property because you team up with the college the university i know you guys have done um i don't know the quell forever the bobcat bob white boot camp we have done two bob white boot camps and what they do and a lot of people don't realize this quell forever is right now has bobs in the field doing this type of research from the federal government does they are coming yeah, I in. Yeah, I talk about that all the time. There is uh, 
right now, and there's more programs coming online, but there's about $80 billion right now set aside for private landowners for conservation. You have to go through the NRCS office to see where you qualify, what you qualify for. But there is a working lands for wildlife biologists. Right now, they're in every state. They've got, they'll have 400 by the end of this year across the country. But they're hiring, since COVID, they've hired 200 biologists. I mean, they're, they're, every day we get, you know, notices them looking for people from one end of the country to the other. And, but what they can do is, you know, they can call, figure out, get the guy to come out, he'll do a site visit. And he's there to work with a landowner. He'll look at what you want to do and tell you, hey, that's not practical, but you can do this. There's opportunities for money on burning, for fire breaks, things like that. And the best tool in your toolbox is that you've got for conservation is burning. I mean, you know, if it's tall stuff and it's thick up under, run a fire through it, you know, and it'll start knocking it back and help promote, you know, the forbs and the grasses to come up. And their seeds are in the seed bank. They're going to come up if you can get sunlight on them. So, so what is the actual boot camp? Is it, is it an educational well, it, weekend it, it, for people? Uh, yeah, it was kind of fun when they did the first one. And, you know, you, you kind of look at it and you go, okay, these are all biologists coming in. And the first one, I didn't really understand what the concept was. But every year they'll hire, they'll get 40 to 50 new biologists that have not worked in the field. Well, we've got the conservation <laughs> And a lot of the conservation practices that they preach or try to promote on, you know, setbacks, uh, field border, strip distance, rotational patch grazing, all those practices, we're doing them here in some form or fashion. So you're actually uh, training the biologists. Yeah, they, they bring 40 biologists in and they get in and the first night they kind of have a little dinner and they give them some, you know, the cocktails or drinks or just sit around and talk around the fire. And then they start at like six the next morning. And for four days, it is like from six in the morning, like 10 o'clock at night, they're doing field stuff. They're doing, you know, things with in front of the screen and they're going over everything, talking about these programs, how they do it, how they talk to landowners. And the second day they, I mean, they're out identifying, they do a plant identification. They're looking for, What's native here and what's evasive? There's, you know, they do a little butterfly counts. Um, and then the, they start talking about how they're managing the land. Okay, what would you do to make this better? So basically, they'll split them up in teams. They'll send them all over the farm. And then that night, they have to come back together. They have to put a comprehensive plan together for the whole farm based off each group. And they kind of pull it all together and then, We'll typically have a small spot that we'll do a little control burn. Most people don't have never seen a fire. They're scared to death of it. Uh, you know, we've got roughly 6,000 acres of grass and woods up here, but we burn 70, 75% of it. Historically, we have burned that. And we've got a lot of switchgrass, a lot of blue stem, little and big blue stem. And now we're trying to do some disking and spraying just to see the switchgrass when it's established. That was one of the first studies when they were trying to use switchgrass as a biofuel out here. 
the planting rate was very heavy and it's established it's very hard to kill. The roots are eight to nine feet deep and it's very, very hardy. It's very drought tolerant too. Uh, great forage for cattle. You know, and that's been the easiest way we've been able to control it. We'll come in temporary fence and, and we'll put 100, 150 head of cattle in there and they'll eat it down. It's about 18 to 20% protein at the optimum time. And so there's a lot of, you can use everyday things that you're doing to achieve the conservation. I mean, whether it's cattle, you know, we've been very fortunate we don't have hogs on the property yet. Uh, I don't know why they don't like it out here, but they're east of us and west of us. So How nice is that? They are a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we got a good friend that's, he he gets about 400 a year off his plate. That's what the high school kids did when JC was in high school. Those kids would hog hunt like every night. That I mean, we we never worried about where all of our teenagers were because they were on somebody's farm hunting hogs like five nights a week. Um, so but the, the Bob White Boot Camp is a great tool and it is training the next generation of biologists. Well, what I love about this, and I want to hear some behind the scenes stories from this perspective because. I've had so many conversations about these biologists and how so many of them have not been exposed to hunting, but they absolutely love conservation and they love the outdoors. When they come for their training with this job to your facility, there's no way to get around how cool hunting is. No, Just the drive in, you know, you, you you feel the the history, the tradition, everything that we preach about. You feel it just driving down the dirt road, coming into your place, and then when they turn that bend, and then they see the lodge with the pond and the kennel back there, everything. Like what happens to these people that love the outdoors but aren't hunters? Yeah, the the hunting is a whole different segment of what we had a. One of their girls that was out here from Mississippi State this year, she's working on a master's program. Well, she's been here two years, and she's radio collaring quail and trapping. Yeah, you know, they're using the the data off the to, to figure out where they're going, how far they're moving, things like that. But last year we had an opportunity to go to Honey Break with Dr. McConnell and, and this student, and. They were looking to put some quail habitat in. I said, "Well, if we're going down there, we'd go till hunt because it's September." Yeah, and she withdrew. <laughs> yeah, she's like, "Well, I've never till hunted." I said, "Well, let's be a good opportunity." And you know, we got in blind with Drew and them, and we were. She killed her first till, uh, and it was funny because since then, I mean, and really, that's the first time she'd ever really, really, really been hunting. And she's been quail hunting up here with a ladies group last fall. And then she's deer hunted. She took the first deer this past year. She killed her first turkey this past year. And then the other day I saw she technically graduated. She's writing her paper and she'd gone to Alaska and they were fishing in Alaska. And I'm thinking, yep, she's fully embraced it. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, that's just something that people don't think about. I feel like, um, I just lived under a rock growing up in a hunting family in the South. 
I thought everybody believed and had the same standards of us. And, you know, if you're in the outdoors, you're a hunter. And it's funny because, <laughs> you know, for, for us getting to travel and see all these different places we go and different, you know, and, and the Orvis affiliation, we have an opportunity to, to meet hunters from all over the country. Uh, well, I, really, I mean, really all over the world. But right. You, you get people that, and you think, oh, man, you're growing up in South Texas. And, and it's not necessarily, you know, the ones you're seeing now are coming, they're, you know, they're living in Atlanta, Charleston, Dallas. You know, it's, but it's that, you know, 30, 32-year-old group. You know, my kids grew up around hunting. The youngest, they loved it. My oldest son kind of got out of it. He was in the military, and, but he got back to the, the dog training, and he, he really likes it. But it's just, you know, I don't know if it's the, the thought of people with guns. And, you know, we have people here, actually some students from Mississippi State, we were doing shooting with Xavier. And one of them's like, no, nah, you know, guns are bad and all that. And I said, why? Why do you think guns are bad? And they said, well, you know, people can get killed with them. I said, but it's like saying the rock was bad for Cain and Abel. I mean, you know, it's, or a fork makes somebody fat. It's it's a tool that if you're taught how to use it correctly, it's not going to hurt you. Right. And it, I think the world today is a touchy feely, you know, worry about everybody's feelings. I mean, hey, let's grow up and be grown folks and move on and do what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, and and that's what I've just wondered. I mean, I would like to be a fly on the wall just to watch these tip, you know, typically those are kids coming in that haven't been exposed to the hunting world walk into your lodge (laughs) with the gun rack on the wall and gorgeous mounts everywhere. And just, you know, we do a thing in the spring every year, and it's usually they'll take Farm Bureau does it. Is it Farm? Yeah, no, yes, Farm Bureau does it. And they'll pick two kids that you know, I'm going to call underprivileged kids. And they will pick two every year and we'll do a rabbit hunt for them. And I mean, I basically donate the rabbit hunt to them. And y'all have the hounds there? Y'all got beagles? We've got one of our guys that he, he has beagles. And but that's, most of these kids have never rabbit hunted. I mean, Me never neither. Hunted. I've never and rabbit hunted. I'm coming. When is that? <laughs> we start. We'll do it in February. We kind of wait till after deer season's <laughs> over. But uh, getting those kids out there and watching them, you know, seeing the dogs running. I mean, just the excitement on their face. You know, you know, if, hey, at least for one day, you made an impact on what they're doing on their lives, and maybe give them a different perspective or a different opportunity. To I just believe if you put a kid with any kind of hunting dog that that bond and the love of um, the interaction there will capture their heart and they will never forget it. And their oh, entire yeah. life, they're going to say, I wish I had a hunting dog. I wish I had a hunting dog of some kind. And it's, I mean, I just feel like you're just, you're disservice to your kid. If you have, if you raise kids without dogs, I just question parenting. <laughs> and when, <laughs> you and I both are like, we could never live without our dogs. How many yeah, dogs dog, do you have right now? Me, personally. I've got 13. See? And you love every single one. They're your babies. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've and got you're a big six. dude. Like, you're a no. big, like, manly man. Like, the size of a door, y'all. I mean, he 
He's like linebacker status, pro football size, and he gets those little dogs and just cuts them. Yeah, the thing that people don't think about, I mean, they're looking for somebody to be, you know, be the alpha male or female of the group. But, I mean, they're there to please, and they have their own personality. Each and every one of them are different. But being able to take something that, that you've worked with, that you've been able to train to do something, and all they want to do is please you. I mean, yeah, they got the, the but most. Your social spirit. media is so good because I think your pictures showcase your heart for those dogs all the time. Oh, like yeah. I, I just love it. And and when I started traveling with all the bird dog guys, they were all like in construction, just rough, tough farmers or something. And then they'd get off at at hunting camp, and they would just like let the dog snuggle with them and all this stuff. And so their wives are like, why do you go off to hunt camp? I'm like, because they don't have to be the tough dude anymore. They all turn into like us baby and these dogs. And it's, it was such an eye opener for me because I had only like trained with them. Right. And so then they were this dominant person, but there's a whole nother side to, um, to, and I, I just have learned so much about life traveling with those guys that I had so much respect for because they were an alpha male to see the passion that they truly have for the dog. That is far more than just a tool. Well, you know, it's been, I've been fortunate enough to be around Steve Snell a lot. Steve's a good friend of mine. Yeah. He's Suzanne Smith are great friends and I've learned more from them, but you know, the past few years been around Susanna and, the, the psychology of a dog and watch them. I mean, they're the only animal in the world not going to lie to you. I mean, if they're going to bite you, you can tell it. You can see it in their in their body, in their posturing, what they're going to do. But to, for me, understanding, you know, what they're thinking, what they're looking at, what, you know, what drives them to go do that. It's changed the way we train dogs here uh, from taking them out and doing, you know, the standard you know, silent command method. And look, there's many, many ways to train a dog. I like Ronnie's and Susanna's, which Delmar started it, but it's very unobtrusive on them. It, and it's just, it's an easy way to do it. But, you know, I get up there one day and I got all the kids play toys when, you know, Gage and Reagan were small. And I'm like, what are you doing with them? And she's like, oh, that's our obstacle course. And I'm like, you're what? Yeah. And she said, yeah, in the backyard and big cabin. It was just in the backyard. Yeah. And it's like it loosens them up, and you know. So, and then when they move to Pawhuska, they've got some really good places, and you know, nice obstacles, boxes, tip overs, mm-hmm. very high wall. And I'm like, y'all training police dogs now? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, I'm six six, and they're eight foot tall, and I'm, she's like. No, she said the, pup, the puppies love it. She said, and it loosens them up for when we get ready to start training them. They're more receptive to it. I'm like, really? Yeah. And that's, you know, it's funny because the new ones, you know, we bang and clatter and, you know, we don't have to condition our, our dog. You know, dogs aren't made, well, they're not born gun shy. They're made gun shy by a bad experience somewhere in their back history. Right. So everything we do around, we make racket with the puppies, uh, you know, flipping them over, turning them on, putting them on their back. That was something I learned from Delmar. He said, you get a dog you put on the back. He said, that's the most vulnerable spot they'll be in. Yep. And he said, 
But at that point, if they trust you, you can do anything you want. You need to. Mm-hmm. That's well, how you pick a puppy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I had an eight pound short hair that big male that I he left his forearm open out in Texas. We were two and a half hours from a vet, and I mean, he lay down on the tailgate, and I put staples in his forearm. But it's you know, you got to have the compassion for them. But I mean, they're a lot part of the family for us. I, I mean, know, and. You know, I love that you brought up that whole Smith family because I was hardcore clay shooting and we were at Pheasant Fest and I was standing there talking to Del Mar and he was like, so what do you have going on? And I was like, well, I've got, you know, my short hair and then I'm doing all this clay. He's like, he just looked me dead in the eye, you know, like he just means what he says and he's so direct and he's like, you just need to stick with the dogs. And all I could say was like, yes, sir. (laughs) And so that's what I did. And, you know. I wouldn't have ever, I don't think, had the confidence to have done what I've done in the past without that family because Rick just took me under his wing and he encouraged me all the time and he like never let me doubt myself. Well, why aren't why aren't you hosting clinics? Why aren't you doing this? And I would go and travel with him. And so with his um like obstacle course that he would travel with for his travel seminars. Easy stuff like that people already have at home, like the ladder. The ladder drill is one of the best things that you can do with a puppy. Yeah. And you just lay the ladder on the ground and have the dog walk through all the, the holes through the ladder on your lead. And then you take it off your lead and then it's healing without a lead right through that ladder. And, and you're just building trust with all these obstacles. That's that, you know, that's what it's for. And so I, I travel with him and one day he's like, you know, I, I told him, I said, I've got to start getting a little bit more politically correct. You know, I was like, I just wasn't born with that skill. And he's not either. And he said, well, I'm not the one you need to be hanging out with. You need to be going out there with Ronnie and, and Suze. And I, and I was like, well, they're, you know, out in Oklahoma and all stuff. He said, here, here's Ronnie's number. Just call him and tell him you're coming out there. I said, I can't invite myself to their house. Oh, yeah, you can. Just call him and tell him I gave him your number. So I did. And of course, they said, come on, you know, and it's just open door. I went there, spent the weekend with them. Just it was just the three of us and the kids. And I made the the best like bird dog friend I think I could ever have with Susanna. Like she is such a gem. And she was one of the first ones that came on this podcast because. I call her about everything and it's not necessarily like training stuff, but it's just about being in the industry in general. And she just handles things so well and has such well, a positive they're perspective. So they're oh so my gosh. I know it. And, I, mean, I know. And Taterbug has watched their videos. That's what she used to watch at night when she went to bed was dog training videos instead of cartoons. And right. so, um, Rick has just been so good to her and put her on stage with him at Pheasant Fest. And she was like four years old. They were Mike and her. And she was working dogs on the stage with him at Pheasant Fest. And so I, I literally kind of became who, I can, who I've become because of how genuine their family is and how they just take everybody under their wing and mentor them. And then you're friends for life. And and they held my hand because I didn't have anybody in Georgia where I'm at. Um, and they were just always a phone call away, you know? 
they're so genuine in what they do and, and the result and they're there for the dogs. And that's, that's the fun part of this. You know, a couple times I've seen them with working with dogs and, and Ronnie, me and Ronnie are really good friends. We're not, he's a little bit older than me, but we had a big training seminar down here last year in uh, April. We're going to have another one this year, but it's just, I mean, they're just salt of the earth people. And my dad's favorite quote of his, because you know Ronnie's full of the one-liners, full of. Oh them. yeah. I mean, he needs a. That's what Suze needs to do. She needs to write a book of Ronnie. He needs to remember. You're so right. But his, uh, my dad's favorite quote is, um, "If you treat a dog, if you treat a dog like a human, a dog's going to treat you like a dog." Yeah. And <laughs> and so he says that all the time because. So many people do that, right? They let their dog get away with everything and then they've lost their hold on it. But that was the first thing that I remember about being in the field with them. That The first weekend I went out there is he'd be out there and he'd be like, Suze, what about this one? What about this one? And, and he just called every dog sis. Sis? <laughs> I actually have a sis, but she's a true grit sis. I have um, sister or brother? It's a brother? <laughs> yeah. And I tell you what was funny. I mean, because, you know, Ronnie, Ronnie helped me help. I mean, he's been a huge mentor in that for me. And, you know, if I got a question, I call and say, hey, I got one doing this. And he'll say, try this. So, you know, we're eight hours from him. We do, and I get to go probably two or three times a year to see him. But, you know, having Steve Snell, we got dog supply 30 minutes from him. Me and Steve got to be really good friends. And, Steve Snell, if you don't know Gundog Supply, he that that Gundog Supply store, which is named Gundog Supply, has the best customer service of any place you're ever going to order anything. I don't if if I'm not working with a direct sponsor, it comes from him because when you need it, it's going to be there. And if you ever have a problem, they are so quick to fix everything. I mean. I just can't say enough good things about them and the emergencies they've pulled me out of on the road and stuff. Like well, it's incredible. I will tell you this about Steve is he doesn't sell anything that he does not use Personally in the field use, yeah. or Rob uses uh, whatever they're trying, you know, products. I mean, they get thousands of new ideas every day. And if it's not a good product, they're not going to put it out there. And yeah, this, it's funny. The last two years have been tough on them with COVID and business has been great for them, but it's getting product. Just, I mean, same thing everybody else done, getting product. And he's changed things and they, they make a lot of the, they make all their own dog beds in house now, but they're, they're customer driven and satisfaction guaranteed. I mean, they're just, they're great folks. And they the are. And are, I didn't know that. That was a family business because for me, coming into the bird dog world, you know, less than 10 years ago, his name was attached to that brand and his face was to the point that I thought it was his. I didn't realize it was a generational business. And his parents started, that, you know, like I didn't know yes. that. Yeah. And it was originally it kind of when his dad got going to start out, it's kind of a comic book gun dog supply store so you can get your comic books and all your <laughs> leads and leashes and things but he's got a he turned into a tremendous business uh he's got a ton of credentials in the business you know from with purina garment i mean his largest garment dealer around uh he just 
and for us, it's been fun because he'll bring something over here and go, all right, I need y'all to run this to tell me what you think. But it doesn't exist, but you just tell me what you think. Yeah. And some of that, it's been fun to see some of that and say, no, nah, this didn't do that or this does. And But he's always trying to improve the product that we as hunters and, and, and dog people get to use in the field. I'll tell you what I enjoy the most about Steve Snell is his writing. If you don't follow him on Facebook, which I just got kicked off Facebook, so I have to start a whole new account. I didn't disappear. I'm not like not posting. I just got erased. So, um, but he has started writing about his experiences or his hunting trips or something. And and they are just comical. Like he has the best sense of humor. Well, it's funny because, you know, everybody goes, usually it, before, everybody says, you know, you're good friends with Steve when he cleans out the front seat and you get to go bird hunting, you have a truck with him. <laughs> and I've been able to do that. I got I got to that status. But <laughs> the conversation, I mean, he just, it, he's a great friend. I mean, great guy. Uh, yeah, it's funny because I guess two years ago, in November, he was going to Nebraska. No, in October, he was going to Nebraska. Maybe it was November. And we had talked, and I said, man, be careful, have fun. And next thing I know, he's like, I didn't go, had to have a little surgery. And I'm like, what's wrong? He said, had to have a heart cath and, you know, had, uh, you know, 90%, 95% blockage in the Winnebaker. He said, doctor told me if I'd have went, the mother beneath my eyeballs out there. I mean, just Steve being. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, we talked on the phone a lot. Well, that April, me and my wife had gone to Ronnie and said, Man, season's over. I just had to get away for a few days. Call Steve. I said, Why don't you come up here and bring dogs? Let's run dogs. You know, just we we don't have to mess with running them while they're training. We'll just run dogs. He said, Okay. And he pulled up, and I'm like, I kind of caught my head and I looked at him. I'm like, Steve. He said, Yeah, you all right? He said, yeah, why? I said, man, how much weight did you lost? At the time, he'd lost 60, 65 pounds. I said, what are you doing? And he told me what he was doing. And I'm like, and I just looked at Well, then I was about 385. You've already mentioned I'm a big guy. But you're like eight foot tall. Oh, I'm 6'6". Six, six. But at that time, <laughs> it was funny because at that time, I looked at my wife and said, my God, if he can do it, I can do it. Because I've watched Stevie jump through this whole, you know, every time I've been around him. So that was, April was a year ago, so what, we're 16 months out. Well, I'm down 100 pounds, and I told Steve, I said, you are my inspiration to do this. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm not getting any younger, and I, weight doesn't come off the older you get, so I feel really good. It's been help for me, but he's like, man, you look good. You know, I saw him the day, and I said, no, you're still skinnier than I am. I said, I'm trying to catch. <laughs> but just having somebody pick up the phone, and if I call them right now, they'll answer the phone. You know, yesterday, we're out of 209 blank for the training pistol. <laughs> I called him. I said, do you have any? He said, there's none in the country anywhere. And I'm like, oh. He said, but I got some for you. He said, I'll have a case. I'm sitting on the counter. I said, well, where, if you don't have any, where do you get them from? He said, they're mine. I'll give them to you. That's kind of relates to you. And, and that's, that's not just Steve. That's anywhere in the dog world. Yeah. I mean, dog people are, they're going to have. The best them. people. They're just the best people. Well, I, I love know, it. It's, it's funny because if you see somebody, that's, especially with a dog, for me at least, if I see somebody with a dog train on the side of the road and it's hot, I know what that's like. 
I mean, I've been stuck on 40 between Little Rock, Memphis, and it'd be 100 degrees. You had to put five dogs in the cab and truck with you just to stay cool. So, you know, it's it, it's a good group of guys. And I don't know how, I don't know if you want to get off on the whole thing being dogs this time, but that's kind of that, where That's good. That's there. always going to happen with us. It's okay. But <clears throat> we don't really get to talk about your kennel, and you got some really cool things going on there with the dogs and just it is really close to your heart but it is the thing that connects us all and um i love the craftsmanship of shotguns and that kind of thing because my dad had a millwork company i was raised in a you know custom residential construction and so just understanding what craftsmanship like that and what goes into it and the artistry of it like i get geeked up about that and um and we can talk all day about guns, but there's just something special about the dogs and the and then the dog people. And we never get tired of talking about it. And we probably tell the same stories over and over and over. And we still love it. It's like they get better every time we tell them. But um, we do have some other things that I wanted to talk about because. Well, you mentioned the kennel. I'm going to say something about it real Yeah, quick. tell We're me about the kennel. We're in the final stages, uh, architects working on the drawing. I saw one of the renderings yesterday on, from the front of it. And it's kind of funny because, you know, being from the South, growing up in the South, you know, the old feed store, you mm -hmm. know what I'm talking about with the signs and everything on the front of the, yeah. the front of the kennel. It's got that old, when I saw it, I was like, I think it turned out better than I thought it was going to. It's got the old feed store look, but it's going to be state of the art. Uh, sporting dog kennel. Uh, we're gonna have labs, flushing dogs, uh, English pointer, German short hair, German short hair, Brittany. It's gonna be a kind of an all breeds kennel, but we're gonna train. We're gonna do, and the cool, cool. The, for me, the best part about it is the vets go. Mississippi State has bought in. Uh, they came out yesterday. Really brought their first class, and they did a just kind of health and wellness, physical check on all the dogs. They're bringing students out, working on them. And, you know, the old kennel we got, it's been functional for what we have, but this evening we're going to have two exam rooms. We're going to have a whelping area. And I told Ronnie and Suzanne, I said, I'm copying There's yours. This is so awesome. Holy well, smoke. I told them, I said, yeah. I'm copying yours. Sorry, but save me for playroom. But uh, we're going to have 100 runs in the kennel, a uh, isolation room and a quarantine area for new dogs coming in. Uh, you, the goal is, yeah, working with Purina, we're going to be able to sell dog food out of here locally. Um, but the whole school is going to be basically run by the vet. I mean, the whole kennel will be run by the vet school. So, so, what, like, I love all of that that it brings to the dog world, but I don't want to not focus on. One of the main things that you guys do, because you host people that are, that are hunting and these shooters that are already bought into our industry, they're already, already bought into our lifestyle, they want to be there. But by you guys opening the door for a training facility for the, the university for Quell Forever, because Quell Forever is made up of hunters. Hunters care about Quell, right? But it doesn't mean that their employees are hunters, you know? Uh, and, and so the 
opportunities and the influence that you guys are going to have on these college kids that are coming in are going to be huge because that's our target market of um, bringing in this new age group for our next generation to continue these traditions. And I don't think there's another better way of exposing them to our lifestyle besides through the heart of the things they already love. Uh, you're 100% right. And from the kennel side of it is using that as a tool. I mean, you can't get somebody with a bird dog and they not end up in the field. I don't care if it's the first time bird dog or not. The training seminar we had in April, we had 55 attendees. It was probably 65, 70 dollars. The longest chain games I've ever seen. I saw it. It wrapped all the way around the yard. But there was probably half a dozen new dog train, you know, dog owners that were trying to train dogs. Uh, one girl had a standard poodle and got pictures. Steve's got pictures of Ronnie in the standard poodle. That's kind of an inside running joke there. But, you know, they were bred as hunting dogs for royalty in, in yeah. England. But they swim so that, slow, though. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tater Bug was at a hunt test <laughs> and, and the, um, the lady before her was running a poodle. And that thing took three times as long as any lab of the entire test, right? The oh, whole yeah. weekend to swim. <laughs> we got we loaded up her dog, got in the truck to go to the next field, and she said, just out of the blue, her little wheels were turning. Thank God we don't run poodles. I don't think that kid could last training dogs all day long waiting on poodles to swim across the pond. <laughs> I'll never forget her saying that. It's funny because Dr. McConnell, the quail biologist out here, he's got one and he just got a poodle pointer. And I give him stuff all the time. I mean, we give him a bad, hard time about it. But Us short hair people, we are the biggest dog snobs ever. And Ronnie, Ron, if I see him or end up having to call him about something, he'll say, so have you wise up and got a dog with a tail yet? When are you going to get a that. dog with a tail? I'm like, my dog's got a tail. <laughs> It's funny because we were out there last year and I had a puppy that we were running and he likes those long tail dogs that are poker tail and he was sitting there and that short hair come by and he said, I really like that dog. And I said, wait, wait, say that again. He said, no, that's a good looking dog. He said, I like the way he runs, I like the way he moves. But that's the goal with the kennel is, you know, we're going to try to expand the, the breeding side of it. Have Mississippi State involved, you know, looking at the breeding program, a uh, lot of testing on, you know, hell, here's another one, everybody. You know, for me, I want to know optimally the the feed with food costs, you know, going through the roof and a 50-pound bag being almost $100 now. Yeah. And we go through a lot of feed. I mean, we go through about 60 bags a month. And it's, you know, there's a, a very high cost associated with it, but optimally, yeah, this time of year we could probably back it down a little bit, and then during hunt season we need to ramp it up. But you know, cold. You know, when you when your dog, especially getting cold, stressed, dogs from the south, you know, up north are not as bad. But the K count on the food is, you know, we were in a meeting two weeks ago, and the it, it's mind boggling for in every ten degrees. You know, typically twenty five hundred calories a day for a working dog is pretty good. And as that temperature drops, that K count doubles just about every time. So 
if you went from a 50 down to a 25 degree, I mean, you're talking about almost 23 of food a day, which is unachievable monetarily, and the dog can't eat that much. So what do you do to, to boost their energy levels? You know, how much water intake is huge. Yeah. But, you know, clean feed bowls, clean dog bowls, washing them out, keep the kennel sanitized. It's it's like having kids, and nobody really thinks about it that way. Changing the mindset on the dog for me has been huge, and having that ultimately it's going to end up Mississippi State's going to have the kennel. We're going to lease it back, train with it. So, well, I love that you get so geeked up about the dogs and and the care for them, and that you're such a advocate for them being part of the family. And I've felt like that since my first time there, and. That's how I felt the first time because Mercy, if it hadn't been for Mercy and me getting a short hair, if I'd gotten a laid back bird dog, I don't think that I would have gotten as it um, make far. You no, you I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I mean, because I had to have dog. help. I had that to have dog, help. That laid back dog just kind of fits in with your personality. And that's what some people want. <laughs> what are you saying about me? Oh, but I mean, you're driven, you're, yeah. driven, you're high strung, and I mean, you like to go, and that's that's what you want in a dog. But uh, Mercy and, being too much for me to handle forced me to find the expert and, 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 and just building better. one relationship after another because I didn't know what I was doing and I had to find the answer is, is what built my, like, friend group. And I didn't realize that my friends, like, I just... I just wanted to solve my problem. I didn't realize yeah, that I was gaining knowledge to help somebody else along the way, you know? And it's just been the coolest journey to sit back and think, holy smokes, like, I actually did it right. And I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know if the, this was the right way or the wrong way. I just had to find somebody who was having success and just follow their footsteps. Well, uh, the first thing, you realize that the dog had the focus and the drive to do what you wanted to do. And you're going, okay, I can't get to that next step. I got to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Once you start figuring that out, and I mean, the most gratifying part of a bird dog is, I mean, you know, this, like I told you, Maverick's my 16-week-old puppy. And, you know, Ronnie's like, you know, we're teaching them, you know, that we place. And Kurt Rouse, who's a good friend of mine who works with Purina, and and one of his dog Oz just won, I think it was the all round in the NAVDA this year or something. But anyway, he's a national champion. That's who Maverick came out of. And he plays. You know, everything they do is he'll he'll place. Riding them, you know, I learned the value of the healing because I never healed a bird dog. I mean, we and I grew up bird dog. We never healed a bird dog. And so all these little pieces start coming in. Well, I had trained last for a while when I was duck hunting. Well, I run bird dogs on hand signals. You know, I can cast them and throw in their her club. You run them on hand signals? I said, yeah. Said, it's 16 weeks? I'm like, well, yeah. And if I get, you know, for me, it's you fragment it and just say, okay, we're going to do this, 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 and this. And when you get those done, then you move into the woe pose. I mean, that that to me is the most when I say, whoa, every one of my dogs stop. I mean, if they're in the field, I want them to stop. But more importantly, if we're somewhere and a car's come flying up, right. yeah. I can say, whoa, and they're going to stand there. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but you know, my dog and I hunted wild birds in Texas, you know, southeast Oklahoma or southwest Oklahoma, Georgia, South Carolina, Mississippi, and they run wild birds and I can transition in and run preserved birds. Everybody says, Oh, you can't have a preserved dog that run wild bird. Well, I disagree with them. I'm not gonna argue with them. Everybody's got their own opinion. But I don't know the difference. That that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about I got a dog and that dog goes where I go. Yeah, and, and typically for me, mine, you know, preserved, we keep them a little closer just because clients are there to hunt and shoot birds. They're not there to watch the dog run. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we stress. I mean, I, we want to put birds in the air for the customers here. When I go wild bird hunting, I mean, it's it takes a day or two to loosen them up. They may not right. get out there as far as Ronnie and Steve, but, you know, I don't need, you know, the defense satellites to be able to help me locate the dogs 12, <laughs> 1,800 yards out. But yeah. it's everybody's different. Everybody has their own need and purpose. So that's, that's kind of where we're headed with it. But from the live perspective, I mean, the hunting, you know, we've got my goal when I got over here was to try to make this as much like a wild bird hunt as we could. When did you come? Uh, when did you go there? Because I I've just always June. associate. I've been there. here. June was six years. Oh, so, I, I was thinking you've been there a lot longer. No, and uh, it was, you know, came out of an industrial management sales background, but I was always training dogs at the house. Always, you know, I got it every weekend during the season that I could or hunted and got an opportunity, met Mr. Jimmy through a friend and got an opportunity to come over here. And I mean, it's, you know, it's funny because everybody says, oh, y'all, you just, y'all got the best job in the world. You hunt every day. No, we don't. I mean, we've got the best job in the world. You might should have stayed at your other job if you wanted to hunt every day. That's how I feel. I'm like, I just want to train dogs, but I got to go to work. I got to talk about what we what we want to do. And it it does. Um, sometimes you're like, okay, can I get that job where we just clock in and clock out so we can go play with the dogs on the weekend? Well, we've been, you know, we've added uh, 16 more beds on the lodge. This summer we built three more lease fields for the Nationals. I mean, you know, we got hit by a tornado in, in March. So it's it's been nonstop this year. Uh, still got a couple projects that we hadn't finished, but, you know, it's, we've got great meals. The lodging accommodations are, you know, just off the charts. I mean, everything about what we want to do is, is we want to provide an experience that's above none other. And, you know, having that Orvis endorsement, you know, we're vetted by Orvis. You know, they're a 160-year-old company. Uh, been in the wing shooting side of it 35 years. Um, they're really, they're trying to push that that side of the business for their growth. I mean, the, the fly fishing is there. They've done it. But having that that little green endorsed lodge emblem for nothing else, it's like saying, hey, I know that it's having a five diamond, you know, blue diamond rating from a motel. You know what you're going to get when you get here. Well, I so, think your place feels like home. I think anybody that travels and walks in to Prairie Wildlife just feels like they can kick back on the couch and just, it just feels like home. Well, like, and that's, you know, when they get here, it's funny because, and I tell every guest here that comes in, you know, hey, won't you have a good time? Won't you be safe? Treat it like it's yours and make yourself home. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what our goal is. I mean, from the guys and guys in the field to you know the chefs to the housekeeping, 
everybody here, I get comments all the time on our staff and, and you know, hey, this and this, you don't want for this and this. And, you know, everything's just there that we try to take care of. And there's a lot of forethought put into it. And, you know, the, the practices and procedures we do, they're, they're there for a reason. And, you know, you're talking about getting new hunters in. We see that a lot. We, we do a lot of corporate business. And we get a lot of guys in that have never shot a shotgun. When they're looking at the shell and that broken shotgun going, how does this go into that? You're like, you come stand by me. You're in the field with me right here close. But we have an opportunity to put them on the police field or on the five stand, get them introduced to the shotgun, take them to the field. And, I mean, when they come back, they're on fire. Bad as it sounds, we do have a lot of opportunity to sell shotguns. You know, we've got our FFLs. We sell a lot of shotguns. But a lot of these first-time shooters, they buy their first shotgun here. Xavier takes them down there, gets it set up, and they're hooked. I mean. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, your place is beautiful. And, of course, um, the hospitality is there. But we haven't even started to talk about my favorite thing about prairie wildlife and the spirit of the land. And so I think that's what makes that place special. And uh, unlike any other Orvis endorsed place is that nobody else has Mr. Jimmy's history. No. From, yeah, they started out with grandfather and I guess his brother started a meat place there in West Point. And we've got a lot of old pictures in it with Brian Meats. And it was an old butcher shop right there in town. And they processed and did, you know, the meat right there in town. That was late 1800. It grew into Brian Foods uh, in 30s, 40s, 50s. You know, they were doing the sausages and the hot dogs and the veinas and the whole nine yards. So the when Mr. Jimmy got into the business, he didn't, he, he worked there for a while, then he moved over into the cattle side. And that's where he, he'd been in the cattle for 50 years or longer. And that's what they did. I mean, he, Prairie Livestock was one of the, you know, largest stocker operations in the country at the time. And they moved cattle all over the country. That whole market's changed. And then, I mean, he's gotten older, I mean, he's, kind of transition more into the, this conservation side. And, you know, hey, leaving it better than, than – leaving the land better than what you found it. And, I know. And and I know that you have so much respect and appreciation for the Orvis, but the standard. But honestly, it's a, it's a Mr. Jimmy standard. And I oh, love – Very much so. The Beeline 07 um, mentality yes. and the standards and this – new culture that you guys are bringing just to celebrate the heritage of what Mr. Jimmy has built there and how he took this cattle operation and farmed this land for so long and then turned it into something that could be shared with anybody. Like you, you guys have open doors to anybody that wants to come and share in this history. And I watched that video and like, we've talked about it and we, we've talked about Beeline 07 and, and, um, Kind of what that's been about and jeff barnes gets so excited about it and 
and I know he's there all the time, and he's a very good friend of mine back in Georgia. Because Ducks Unlimited is the whole reason why I picked up a shotgun, and I wasn't a duck hunter, but they showed pity on me, and I'm so glad they did. <laughs> um, but the more and more that I learn about Beeline 07 and the standards and, and what they want to preserve, the traditions that they want to continue on, is exactly the same exact conversation that I have with every bird hunter, every dog owner, every podcast guest. And so I just cannot help but absolutely love this brand. This is just a lifestyle uh, brand of who we are. All well, because of what Mr. Jimmy lived on that on that piece of property that you guys manage. It's funny because the guys that, that have worked there at, at PLI for years, that 07 brand, I mean, they lived it, breathed it every day. And I mean, it was that was a cowboy brand. But it was kind of funny because when we started, you know, the the whole thought was being able to expose. And yeah, that's why I tell Mr. Jimmy, we're still one of the best kept secrets in the world. We're getting the, the, the word getting out now. But so I yeah, want you to ask Mr. Jimmy something because it's going to be a while before I see him. Or if he comes in, maybe y'all can just FaceTime me. But um, I watched the show about, you know, the cows disappearing. And so he decided that, you know, they needed a brand. And it was, I guess his dad said, well, seven's a good number. Let's just, let's just be 07. The 07 was, it was clean and easy to make a brand. Well, I was wondering if he was a Jack Daniels drinker. No. And it was, <laughs> I've been uh, wondering that the whole time. You know, it's funny because when we started the conversation, you know, everything in the pro shop is Prairie Wildlife and, you know, Big Logo and all that. And I was like, we were sitting there talking and I had never watched Yellowstone until we started having conversations. And, you know, Tack, and we were in there, we were talking and, we were just scribbling one day and I had, I had wrote, you know, we were talking about, and B was Jimmy's, whatever I called it, Jimmy's daddy. And I had B07 written down. Tack kind of, I, I kind of drawn a half circle. Right? We were in a meeting dueling. And he said, what is that? I said, just, you know, Brian and 07. And he, then that's kind of where we started. And it's kind of funny because it's, it's a lifestyle that's lived here. Yeah. And, it's contagious. It's so contagious. Well, they're like, well, you need to watch Yellowstone. Well, I'm like, nah, yeah, I've never seen it. Da, da, da. Well, anyway, I went back and started watching it, and I'm like, hell, this is, you know, well, that's, that's the real Yellowstone. Yeah, <laughs> we're doing the real Yellowstone here. I mean, don't necessarily have a train station, but it's, then it got, I'm thinking, you know, for me and running a business, it's always, how do you make more money to supplement what you're doing? in the off season. And we have an op, you know, we got a relationship with guys that do a lot of hats and clothing and stuff, well-known stuff in the industry. And I said, maybe some big, big life hats. Well, we sold the pee out of it. And I'm like, we got something here. Well, one other guy that's like, and I'm, I'm not going to drop names with it, but he's a major player in the uh, outdoor sunglass industry. We were in here talking a couple weeks ago. And he has just launched, he's got one very successful line out right now. Got another one that he's launching. And he looked at me and he said, I wish the 
crap I'd have seen that before I started this one. I said, what are you talking about? He said, that's got more clout, more staying power than what I'm doing right now on this other one. And I said, you honestly got to believe it. I mean, it's been hard for me to believe that, you know, you take that and just push it out to everybody. Yeah. And uh, we've gotten some tie-ins with NFR. Uh, actually, guy from West Point's going to start wearing V-line on him. Uh, you probably know about that one, but I don't know if they've announced it yet. So, uh, it, for me, it was validation. And when you start hearing two or three of these big industry giants going, we want to be involved with that. Um, it's been pretty cool. So, you know, we're, we're trying to grow it. And, and it's not going to replace Prairie Wildlife. Prairie Wildlife is the play. Beeline is a culture. Yeah. It's, you know, we got some guys that still work that work for us over at PLI. And he goes, you know, we rode for those seven brands. You know, and it's so cool to hear that, that it's a real living, breathing time. It's a registered brand in, in the United States in the cattle industry. So it's not something made up. It's it's real life. Well, I and love it, it because I started this whole podcast just wanting to share the heart of the American hunter. And like we said, the ag world is so tied to us shotgunners. And oh, yeah. that... That Beeline 07 brand encompasses every single thing that I ever, like, dreamed of. And I was what? like, I love this. I cannot wait to work with you guys on that because it is, like, I just think every American wing shooter can can relate to everything you guys stand for. Well, and that's, that's what I told Mr. Jimmy when we started. He's like, I don't want to lose our identity. And I said, I'm not going to lose the identity, but I said... I can't put for wildlife on something and it, you know, guy Midwest get it and, you know, everything's logo now. I don't care what you buy, it's got a logo on it. But I said, it gives us an opportunity to, to reach a whole nother group of people. You know, we've got some shooting vests we're working on, jackets, things like, like that. And look, I'm hard. I'm going to tell you, I'm, and I'm selfish in this respect. It's hard to find clothes that fit big bird hunter. That's not the old traditional stuff, you know. So this the folks we've been working with is, have been, they've listened, they're technical. Uh, they're going to be some pretty cool stuff. Uh, well, I just love it because this isn't just tied to your lodge. Like, this is going to be things that lodges across yeah. the country, they're going yeah, they to relate. <laughs> they're going to say, man, like, we don't have to go and build a national brand for uh, our standards. We can relate to what Beeline 07 stands for. And like, we all buy into the same mentality. And I, I just think it's so cool that, especially during this time right this now, is, it's a unity brand. It's bringing so much unity to our industry. What we're going to put out on that side, there's not going to be any jumps. And I mean, hey, and I'm going to be, I'm going to flip over. From the big guys, even to the ladies, the clothing for the upland lady hunter is not there. I mean, right. there's people that are trying to do it, but it's that real upscale, you know, in it's not there. I mean, Kevin's does a great job with it, but they still don't have a lot of technical hunting equipment. Well, I'll tell you what I train in. I train in, and this was my every single day um, clothing, was Dickie's pants or Carhartt pants. Like they have, they have like a, 
a, a legging trouser that would fit really good with muck boots and um things like that there you're right like there's not there's not that thing out there now granted i understand also that you know our numbers are smaller and that and i understand the investment so like i can't argue with the fact that it's not there but i've felt the absence of having something to wear or i'm wearing blue jeans and they get they wear out they just they don't last with the lifestyle that we live every day and um they sure as heck don't protect me from briars. <laughs> and and it's just too hot we, we to live in chaps. Yeah, I know. Uh, and, you know, the, the whole industry's changing. Stuff's going away. Stuff that's been here for 100 years is going away. And it's just, it's different. It's, it's hard to, to find a good technical piece of clothing that fits, that functions in the field. And it's, I mean, you know, I, I'm not a, a a fashion mogul by any means, but you know, the orange is there for a reason, but every bit of your clothes doesn't have to be blaze orange to bird hunting. <laughs> I love it though. Um, I just, it just makes me think of pheasant fest when I've been to all different kinds of hunting, not like national conventions, right? Like about different, different types of hunting. NWTF, you don't you don't have guys walking around in camo, you know. But when you go to Pheasant Fest, you've got every hunter walking through the door with their starch, you know, shooting shirt with the blaze orange shirt, shoulders and um, pants. Yes, and it and it's just it's the coolest atmosphere I think because people buy into just literally living the lifestyle every single day, and so I think that you guys are bringing something new to the table that that people are hungry for and um well we got I'm, seven I'm so excited about it oh and i think seven we may have 11 items this year that they're gonna be able to get to us um we got some more casual wear coming in the spring of next year and then hopefully a full line of stuff next fall and maybe even push it over to some duck stuff well it's really cool that um you're bringing in more attire and, and things like that. But I just love celebrating the why, the why behind where this came from and what, what Mr. Jimmy's done. I'm just so glad the industry is recognizing him. And it's just, a, it's a cool thing to see happen because he's dedicated his whole life to that property. Getting the wine with a, a I didn't realize how hard that is. You know, everybody can just say, you know, oh, yeah, we just go get a wine. No, that's not the way it works. Yeah. You got to, you know, there's a, a board of people that have to approve the wine label. You can't do your wine unless you get an approved label. So having that is, uh, we got that done this summer. Uh, Hill Family Farms out of Napa. When we met with them, there were the guys that were going to do the wine. And like, what do you like? I said, Davis. <laughs> and I mean, there's a lot of great wives out there, but he's like, he just kind of laughed. I said, was that funny? He said, yeah, well, he said, we grow all the grapes for candy. And I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, he said, I think we can do you something in that line. Uh, we ordered it, got it in, and so far been great response to it. Uh, it's 
we can't ship it. You have to buy it here at the lodge based on the state law of Mississippi, but get to the lodge, we can get you some. So, so, yeah, that's so when we talk about a full lifestyle, we, we don't mean just a, a tire and um, logo wear. We're talking oh, about Mr. Jimmy's famous that. cigar that he's always got in his hand. Well, They've got a wine, Patel. everything. Rocky Patel has come on board, and they are rolling a beeline, actually two or three beeline cigars. They're rolled down. Uh, they're drying, which I don't understand the cigar process, but Guy told me, he said, you ever smoked a green cigar? And I said, not, not really ever smoked one at all. But he said, <laughs> well, if you smoke one when it's green, he said, it kind of tastes like a cat, a cat peed on it. I said, no, I can understand that not being real good. So we're supposed to have those <laughs> before long. Uh, we've got a scotch and bourbon company just looking at doing some stuff. So, And it, the cool thing is, is now they're coming to us. I mean, they're starting to see some of what we're doing. Uh, and to me, that that's validation. Hey, y'all are doing this right. And, and in the industry, you know, from the Orvis side, I know we're we're getting a lot of kudos from the different groups there. But it's it's just fun. I mean, you know, it's it's a new thing every day that you're you're going out there looking. What hey, what are we doing today? So it's it's been a fun ride so far. Just trying to get some of these projects hammered out, put down. And right now the kennel is a big thing for me and we're getting ready to come up into hunting season, uh, less than a month. Trying to make sure all the fields are good, all the bad stuff sprayed out. Well, I am coming for the ladies event in November. We'd love to have you. Anybody that's listening. Anybody anybody wants to come. Yeah. Anybody um, that wants to be here. If you know if you're interested in coming yourself, or if you think this would be a great time for your significant other to um, have their first, I don't know, trip in the outdoors, get them, you know, get a surprise hunt for your significant other and their girlfriend, and we're gonna take great care of them. Yep, and you were talking about the first time hunters. Orvis, me and Reed Bryant had gotten together and. I've been pushing, 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 trying to do a, a ladies' event with Orvis. They've got one scheduled in February that is kind of tailored towards inexperienced or first-time hunters, and uh, it's a three or four days, kind of however you want to tailor to, you know, whatever time you've got. But a lot of introduction. Uh, it'll basically be a day or two full days of shooting school instruction, which is like an introduction to quail hunting. Gun fitting, the the whole nine yards. Siren's going to be here uh, with a lot of their guns. So that's another opportunity for the new hunters. And that's kind of what I want to remind everybody and, and make you aware of that. They, they are, don't have trying. to wait till February because we're going to take care of them and do the same thing. Right. Just right. just be, you know, probably smaller numbers in, in attendance. Um but you, I know you do that with every hunter. Every new hunter that comes in gets time with Xavier, gets to make sure that their guns fit right, oh, yeah. and and gets handheld through the field. And so I'm just I'm super excited to find myself back in Mississippi and um, well, we're, I, I yeah, just like embrace the Beeline 07 line and the spirit of it, and I can't wait to see Mr. Jimmy again because well, I, the 
PW Trade Co. online. I mean, www.pwtradeco. That's where the online store is. You know, we've got t-shirts and shirts and hats and all kinds of stuff there. Uh, or if they need to get the live, just prairiewildlife.com. There's a, you can go on there and uh, fill out a thing for information and one of the girls will call you back. So there's a ton of opportunity. But if you'll reach out to us, we'll get back in touch with you. Yeah. So there's already merch available. Um, it's just the hunting line hasn't launched yet, but it'll be posted. Hopefully October, November will be here. It's not like you just go get it made from Aunt May down the street. This this stuff has been (laughs) it's been back and forth with technical drawings and you know, you you don't ever think about clothes having a, a blueprint, but there's blueprints and drawings and the way the stitching's done here and the way the zippers are here and yeah, you know, if if it fits, I put it on a wear. I'm not very fashion conscious, hardly, but it's uh, there's a lot more went into this than I ever thought. And we got a good group doing that. And yeah, the best way to do it is surround yourself with good people, and you'll you'll be successful. That's what the whole goal is. Well, I have no doubt that this new line is going to hold the same standards as the mentality that's always been there. So it's just a super exciting thing that's happened in the upland world that uh we just want to share about it and yeah it's great to sell clothes but it's like my whole thing is to keep that standard alive of of, you know bird hunting because we talk about this offline a lot with the political side that we face and all stuff so Getting to focus on the positive things and getting to share that and getting to light a fire in somebody, keep them motivated to keep this going is really the only thing that we can do now. And the all the efforts that you guys do opening up for first timers is so huge. It's just so huge. And so if you're around anywhere in uh, in the southeast, you want to swing by Prairie Wildlife and just see their conservation efforts and how th- this place is massive. Like it just never ends with um, there's always somebody in the field doing something. And right. it's just really cool to see this plan in action. Um, there's just a little conservation piece of heaven. I, the biggest part too is getting kids involved. You know, we had opening day of dove season last weekend. That's We did one big dove hunt opening day and then we spent the rest of the month getting ready for quail. But I saw Kim and BC was there with her sausage biscuit. I should have known. They were, they were here, but for me, it's when, I mean, quail hunting in, in the South is kind of like a, re, a religious experience and it's everybody anticipates it. that and college football, you know, usually open at the same time, but seeing all the kids, the little kids in the field, you know, and they bring their BB guns and they're not shooting, but they're, they're there with their mom and their dad, you know, the grandparents, whatever in the field. That's the tradition that, that needs yeah. to be kept up. And and they always have Ren and Ivy everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> BC and Kim are, BC works for Kim, so he does whatever <laughs> she does. But, but they, they've been such a great role model for taking their kids. I mean, they, oh, they I don't know that they go hunting without their kids. No. And, and they're, they're really good people very dedicated to what we do when we do it. I mentioned to Kim about the ladies event and I told her, I said, I'd love to get you up there and told her you were probably going to be here. So. Oh gosh. Yes. 
Well, we um we bonded at Caliber, yeah. I actually yeah. met her at a gun store event, and we were like, uh, we saw each other across the room, and we had our hats on, and we're like, we're new best friends. <laughs> and it's been yeah. like that ever since. Yeah, and I love what they do. I mean, it's just another couple in the industry that holds the same exact standards, the same exact family values, and we're we're just so, I guess, blessed that we can sit here and rattle off so many names um, of people in the industry to keep this going. And now that you have this umbrella lifestyle brand that we can all come together because we all have our own brands, but we're all really good friends. Um, and we can work and together. And everybody's willing to help everybody. It's, yeah. it's a help. Everybody helps everybody. They do. They do. And I'm just so excited. I'm so excited to see where this goes. It, um, And I'm super thrilled to be a part of it. Well, I'm glad to have you here. I mean, I'm excited to see where we're going to go. So um, I will start posting um, about Realtree 365 and your channel on there. So you have season one up and um, the Nationals, the Halise Nationals just posted. So that'll be something yep. cool for people, all the wing shooters to get to see firsthand, like this new sport that's tra just trailblazing across the South. And um yeah, so there's so much going there's on actually, on your Instagram, you too. the Bob White Boot Camp. Uh, there's actually an episode on the Bob White Boot Camp. I mean, the funny thing is, you know, we got we got some vicious, vicious chiggers, red bugs that everybody doesn't know what a chigger is. But they make them all get out there in that grass, and it's shoulder high on me, and they make them lay down in it and look from a quail's perspective what the ground looks like. And I told Mark, I said, we don't have enough bug spray to keep the red bugs off these kids. And but <laughs> it's th that's a good episode. I mean, they talk about how they calibrate the planter. So there's a lot of different good things on there. Macy Watkins is on one with uh, Trevor Macy, Santa. You know, that they invited me to come on that trip. And yeah, you bugged out on me. Well, I was, I probably, if truth be known, I was. Probably, uh, I don't know, duck hunting or goose hunting or something. Um, because Jeff called me last minute. But what is so cool about having Macy on there, because she's the fishing girl. And I'm just so proud of her following her dreams and everything. But she came on board with Georgia DU. And she wasn't really a duck hunter either. But she was a marketing major. And so I'm not really sure how Jeff met her, but she ended up living two miles down the road and she was renting a cabin from one of my friends. And I said, my gosh, girl, just come on over on the porch and we'll just, you know, catch up. And so I started mentoring her, just took her under my wing. And so um, it was super cool that we ended up getting to work together. And, um, and now like so she came over and had that quail hunt. And I think that was probably her first quail hunt. Yeah, and so I I don't mind not being able to come at all because she got to have that experience and um, she's rocking her fishing life. But anytime we can get a shotgun in her hand, we got to do it. So I'm, I, I don't, I'm not super sad that I wasn't able to come because I'm happy that she had the opportunity. Well, there's some good episodes. I mean, Miss Jimmy, some of the background of what we've done. And, uh, you know, when they came in and said, oh, we're going to do a, a show. And I'm like, what kind of show? And 
it's like, well, we're going to, you know, just like, you know, day in life, prayer wildlife. And it's been fun. You know, we've had customers get on there and, you know, they filmed the video. That was neat for us. You know, having cameras in the quail field is a little dicey sometimes. But it's it's been good to show what we're doing and how we yeah. do it. And it's, I think it's benefited us. And, you know, it was real funny because Mr. Chief like, well, you know, he told them, don't disrupt what we're doing. They're like, we're not. And now that he sees what they're doing and yeah, he, he comes in every other day with an idea going, hey, we need an episode on this. Or we need an episode on this. So it's been, I mean, it's kind of like a, you know, infomercial, you know, hey, here's what we are, here's what we're doing. But it's, it's good content, uh, shows exactly who we are, what we're doing. And it's been fun. Well, the history and launching the B line oh seven line that that episode with Mister Jimmy was it it was just so heartfelt. I just hope everybody takes time to watch that one for sure. Yeah, All right, we appreciate it. You know everything. It's a lot of this is neat for us, and but he he embraced it and kind of said, "All right, y'all go do this." I mean, he looked at me on the way. I was like, "Why do we need all that?" I'm like, "Well, it, it's our one. We need our one." He said, can we make money on it? I said, yes, well, we can make money doing it. So he had a little, there's been some uphill battles. And I said, just trust me. I said, I'm not going to do anything. We're not going to make money on it come out of here. And he's been real good about that. So, Well, the, been- the whole lifestyle brand and uh, attaching yourself to a logo and all that, that's such a different mentality for somebody at his age. It is. Well, hey, social media and, you know, the, the new smartphone. I mean, he, to be here at 80, you know, be 85 in October, but he is very computer literate. I mean, literate. He can do anything he wants on a computer, use that iPhone. I mean, he embraces the technology until he gets to the point he goes, I don't know what the crap's going on with this. I'm like, yes, sir. So it's, uh, he's involved every day. On a piece of equipment, riding, looking, showing. You know, we were talking. I guess it was Wednesday. He said, "I got to make it to at least ninety-six. And I said, "Why is that?" He said, "I got too many ideas I want to do." I mean, yeah, and it's just every day we do something different. I mean, you know, we're a couple of projects we're going to work on this fall. That we've got a uh, black walnut grove right over here across from the lodge, and it's probably thirty acres, and it's all black walnuts. It's just Real cool place over there on the creek that he wants to put a walking trail through there. You well, know, the I'll tell you one thing that I want to do, and I don't know if if he still does this, and if he doesn't, I completely understand at his age. But believe it or not, me being a horse girl, I've never rode through the quail field, and I want to do that when I come. We can do that. I when I hey. say that, I literally cannot believe I can say that. <laughs> He bought a horse for his 82nd birthday, and I told him, and he that horse is very spirited. I said, you don't need to get on one this unless it's rode down pretty good. So he may probably get in the can am, but we uh we we'll do some we'll do some wild bird hunts and get Steve over here and try to get him a video. So well, I we'll look forward to it. November can't get here soon enough. There's I mean, I still got to go to New York first. We we're doing early geese in New York, and um, and then I'll come back. Can't miss the NFR. I'll be there. 
I'll be at the NFR. Will somebody have a B a Beeline 07 shirt on there? Should be. Well, we'll have we'll have to keep me posted on that one. And then um from there we go straight to Arkansas with Anne Marie uh, to do a little timber stuff with uh at at her family um duck camp and then straight to you guys. Well, we'll be looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be the best season. It's going to be the best season. I'm so excited about we'll, it. We'll get, we'll get you down here in February if we can get you away from a goose to shoot a wild bird. February, I'll tell you what the problems are, is all of our trade shows. Yeah, I know. That's the only, <laughs> that's the only problem that I have of February because I can Wait, look, pull away from just, goose season to come down there. just schedule one of those trips where you come through this way. Yeah, oh, well, I'll just take a detour. Yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, we'll do that My mom says, can they keep you half the season? That's what my mama says. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm excited about it. I'm glad to be here. And I mean, Well, we've covered forward. so much information. And so I'm going to do a really detailed description so that all the websites and the links and everything will be listed um, on the podcast description because... There's so much going on right here, and and everybody listening is going to want to be a part of it. Like, I just have no doubt. When they pull up the website and they see what's going on, everybody's going to be like, I am in. Well, hey, that's, that's the whole goal. We want to share it with everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, a really, it's a really exciting time to be a bird hunter. I can tell you that. Every single day, my phone rings with the, just more exciting news in, in the shotgun world, and it's very encouraging to hear people so active. And um, I was talking with Otter Creek. They're not too far from me over in Alabama. And they were saying, like, season hadn't even opened and they're 90% booked. I'm like, yes, like yeah. everybody's so geeked up about hunting season. Um, I'm just excited. Then I was on the phone with Corey Tart, who he he's a doctor team member with me. He's in South Dakota. And I don't think they even have a week open except for um, DIY on their western uh, West River property for grouse. Like, I don't even know if you can book anything at their pheasant lodge in South Dakota. And, and nobody's even open yet, you know. And so those are just incredible things when you talk to people at lodges and they say, we're booked. That's the goal is, you know, fill the beds up. And, you know, we're booked a lot of weekend. We've got other than during the week. But, hey, we're here to help. You know, it's, it's one of those things that everybody wants to get out in the field and get to do something. And, you know, we're fortunate enough that we go we go to the end of March. And we, it's just too hot in April. So we stop. We start doing the dog seminars, things like that. But, We've got and that's so open. cool because even in the off season, you guys are open. You guys have something with the shooting range, you oh, know, yeah. lessons with the dogs. There, you guys are a year round operation. Right. We and we are. We have the new addition. We got a state of the art conference room. Uh, yeah, big eighty four inch monitor. Zoom, whole nine yards in here. Uh, we can best feed, corporate you know, team building place to go oh, yeah well it's funny because we get a lot of groups in that come in and they'll meet for an hour or so eat lunch and then they're like well we'll go shoot halit for an hour we'll come back when well, they go to halit 
or they go to the five stand and they're there for two, two and a half, three hours. <laughs> and yeah, then they want to go up and they'll have cocktails and hors d'oeuvres at the pavilion up on the hill, which is, you know, the highest part on the property. And I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous up there, but, and it looks out over the tower. So just, it's, it's different. You know, we've got two world-class golf courses within 10 minutes of here. Uh, just a lot to do. You fly in the GTR from Atlanta on Delta. It's 20 minutes from here, flying to Memphis or Jackson or Birmingham. They're all two and a half. So we're not real hard to get to. Uh, you just got to go through Atlanta to get here right now. If we never get that flight from the west out of Texas or Dallas, we'll be we'll be doing good. Make it a little bit easier to get to. Well, we need to go right, on and we- say – we're going to have a part two. There's so much to recap on. You know, we've we've touched base on so many things that's going on there. So we're going to have to have a follow-up and see, you know, keep us informed on the kennel and the breeding program. And, and we need to talk about genetics. We need to let people know, like, what kind of dogs you guys are going to produce. What's the goal of that? Because we need to help people get teamed up with the right dog the first time. And yeah, that is, that creates the most successful hunters. And, um, yeah, so I'm all excited about us getting back. Well, it's funny. It, yeah, that's a whole different scenario. But people go out and they go, oh, I want that dog because I see so-and-so run them. They don't understand the dog's temperament or the personality. And in six months, they're like, calling, going, hey, uh, we want to give you the dog back. He's yeah. too much energy, too. And, and it people happens try to take it. so much. It happens more than we'd like to even admit. And it makes me sick to see a dog that, I mean, all they're doing is trying to please. I mean, I've gotten two in the last six months from friends, and I'm like, why did you get the dog if you didn't do enough research to know what it was going to be like? So, you know, we're kind of like the halfway house for bird dogs right now. But Are you throwing they, me under that bus? No, 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 no. So no, he no. took one of my I, dogs when when I'm I decided excited. I was getting back into marketing. <laughs> I'm excited to see what he can do. Well, he's, I mean, uh, I didn't need a male. That was my thing. I didn't need a male if I wasn't tournament hunting anymore. And um, that definitely wasn't the plan for a long time. I, I thought I'd be a tournament hunter forever. And that's a whole nother topic I can't get off on because I'll talk about it for hours. But. Yeah, so I just appreciate. I just knew that he would be taken care of there. I knew he'd be loved, and I knew he'd get to hunt. And um, well, he's he is. That's as close to a long tail dog as you'll get in a short hair. That dude has got a motor, and he can go. But he he is he does have the um, demeanor to please. Like I loved working with him. I absolutely Uh loved working with that dog. He'll come back, and I mean, he's wound up like a spring, ready to be let go. And when he goes, everything's pinned back. He's running 100 miles an hour. And he ran into a network fence the other day, and I'm like, dude, you've been through there 20 times. Slow down. The fence moves over two feet. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, I picked him up as a puppy and went straight to a tournament. It wasn't really planned. It was it was just i won't say it was an impulse dog purchase but um i did have plans of getting a stud dog but i wasn't it wasn't the right timing but i absolutely loved the dogs that this woman was producing and um and what happened with him is that 
he needed he needed a home he needed a hunting home and he had <laughs> been in a house that wasn't a hunting home and um so i just knew he needed he needed to hunt and i didn't know if i would if i would keep him but i knew that i would be able to use him i knew i'd be able to campaign him until he found that right place well Instead he is just sitting to... in a kennel i didn't want him just sitting in a kennel so he's traveled all he over going country. to hunt he'll get his opportunity and he's gonna learn yeah, it's funny with him because he he is so high strung, and I mean, you go in the kennel with him, he just maul you, just jumping and playing and jumping, jumping, and and I'm real big on the manner side of it. And I go with him now, and I just hold my finger up, and he'll sit down, he'll get almost down, he'll pop back up, I back up, and I hold my finger, and I I do, I, I do it to all of them, and it's just it makes me like my wife seeing. She can go in there and hold her finger up. They know what it means to sit down. Yeah. But he'll get like a half inch off the ground. He just coiled up and I'll put the feet in there and I'll tap him on the head or I'll say, let's go. And I mean, he just in there eating and bouncing around and going. So he, he's going to be fun. I'm excited about him. Well, good. Well, this has been so much fun. I'm super excited about Beeline 07. You guys can find Prairie Wildlife on Instagram. You can find Beeline 07 on Instagram. Um, the websites are easy to search, and um, and they've got their series, uh, the Prairie Wildlife Experience on Realtree 365. You got anything? Thank else? you very much. I, so thank welcome. you for the time. And I will, anytime you need somebody to talk, I'll, I'll talk. Especially I know. I know. I just have so much fun with you guys, and uh, it's. I have to pinch myself sometimes that we got to work, you know, like we just have such a good time doing our job. I just appreciate this relationship so much. And for your time, it was a great way to start my Friday morning. All right. Thank you. I know it was early for you, but thank you. Oh yeah. Well, we will be in touch and I will be there in November. Thank you. Be careful. See you then. Bye. Bye. I guess that's something you don't understand. A ground of soap and a big machine. I'll feed us all on the same beliefs. Oh, a dollar and a credit card. But we got a way of doing things. And no Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me